everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today is a very special day because we are finally on the end of the Wicker series by Kate Tiernan. You might remember that a while ago I finished the series of the Circle of Three books and what with one thing and another the Wicker series just kind of slipped out of my to read pile mainly because it was in a separate to read pile my mistake but now I've powered through and I finally reached the end yay applause for Sarah. Um, now I was a little bit critical of the last book because that was actually the last book from Morgan's perspective. Morgan, the protagonist of the series, and this one was actually going to jump ahead like 20 years. And I felt like a lot of things hadn't really been wrapped up from the 14 books that Morgan had had. So it felt like some of that time had been used not very wisely. Um, and I wasn't particularly looking forward to jumping into the head of Morgan's daughter, Moira, uh, just for one book, even if that book is basically double the length of every other book in the Wicker series. However, you will be pleased and somewhat delighted to know, probably, maybe, I don't know, and maybe you like it when I hate things. But um, unlike the Circle of Three series, where I felt like it kind of petered out towards the end, and I wasn't terribly excited about the last book, this book actually might be my favourite of the series. I know, shocker. Um, so the plot of it is actually quite good. I really enjoyed it. It surprised me in various ways. I liked the characters. I liked Morgan for like the first time um, since the first couple of books. I really liked her because she toughened up and grown up quite a lot, as people tend to do after 20 years. I also like the setting more because it's set in Ireland, which is, I guess, as it's closer to England than America, where all the other ones are set, or Canada whichever. It, it's closer to where I am and therefore I just felt like a little bit more at home in it and I liked that it had like more magic in it and a return of some of my sort of favourite characters in the series like Sky, and the loss of some other characters who I didn't like that much like all of Morgan's other friends. So uh, I'm gonna get into it and tell you a little bit about the book. The book starts off with one hell of a fucking surprise because we actually get a sort of prologue which is only about four years after the end of the previous book so Morgan has sort of left the town of Widow's Vale, she's gone off to like college or whatever to study and she's currently in Ireland trying to basically set Bellwick up again which was her mother's coven. She's found like the few remaining people who were members of Bellwick and is trying to restart the coven in Ireland. Meanwhile Hunter is off trying to start up the new council essentially. I think it's called the new charter and it's basically more of a democratic way of running the witch police in that they don't just kind of come down decide that what you're doing is wrong and then strip you of your powers. They try and find solutions that don't involve stripping people of their powers and they try to be a bit more diplomatic and a bit less kind of heavy-handed and political and bureaucratic about things. So he's off doing that. Morgan's in Ireland. They're not spending a huge amount of time together. And the book starts with Morgan basically trying to work out how she's going to break it to him that they need to break up because they're never in the same places. They're kind of apart a lot and she can't stand it. And she thinks that the only way to solve this is for them not to be together. I was kind of confused by this opening part just because on page 11, Hunter says in response to her saying, you know, we spend a lot of time apart and I'm thinking of like spending more time in Ireland, which means even less time. So he says, all right, so you want me to settle down? Is that it? In Cobb, make a garden with you, get a cat. His voice didn't sound harsh, more despairing as if he were trying to understand. So that's on page 11 and he's all like, you know, I can't do that. You know, this isn't something that I'd be able to do. But then, just like a few pages later, he does a complete 180 and proposes that they get married and he'll scale back some of his new charter work 
and they'll live in Cobb together. So that felt like kind of a distinct 180, but it doesn't really matter because Hunter dies several pages later. Uh, by page 18 slash 19, Hunter is dead. Uh, it's all very romantic. He proposes um, and Morgan's like, yeah, we should get married. He says the next morning he's taking the ferry back to the mainland to like talk to the new charter people to finish up some of his new charter business. And then Morgan gets told uh, later that there's like a big hoo-ha outside. She runs out and is like, what's happening? And they're like, the ferry's gone down. And she's like, not Hunter's Ferry. And the answer is yes, Hunter's Ferry. And then people comment actually at the storm on page 18. They say, I've never seen anything like it. And someone else says, unnatural, that's what it is. And it says, wave reached up and pulled them down. And then just like that, the storm stopped. It's pretty obvious that something magical is going on here. I didn't necessarily realise if it was something that Morgan had done or not, because she's trying to cast spells as she gets to the shoreline. And I wasn't sure if she was so angry at this loss that she'd accidentally made the storm worse. Um, but actually later on at the book, it's revealed that it was actually a magical storm stirred up to sink the ferry. So um, I don't know really why she wouldn't cotton onto that straight away, because... It was clearly magical, but that was a kind of a minor annoyance about the, the prologue. As soon as we got into the split perspective of the rest of the book, which is split between Morgan and her daughter Moira, who is about the same age that Morgan was in these first books of the Wicker series, it definitely gets a lot more interesting. There's a lot more stuff going on in terms of the plot. Now, Moira is kind of a nauseating teenage girl in the same way Morgan was at the start of the Wicker series in general, but she does cotton onto things a lot quicker and deals with them in a lot more of an adult way. For example, like most of the first half of the book is about her crush on a guy called Ian Delaney, who is the son of Lilith Delaney, who is the high priestess of a rival coven called Eeltuin, or something along those lines that I can't pronounce. But basically that coven is another woodbane coven. They practice what Morgan thinks of as dark magic in that it interferes with the free will of things. It's a little bit on the um, coercive side. And she's spoken to Lilith a number of times and said, look, this isn't great. Please stop it. And Lilith has been like, you can't tell me what to do, bitch. So there's kind of a lot of animosity there. And obviously Morgan doesn't want her daughter to be mixed up with Lilith's son, especially because that whole situation reads to her a lot like the Cal and Celine situation, again, from the beginning of the Wicker series, and she's justly quite concerned. Now, Moira initially comes hotly to Ian's defence, but Morgan then sits her down and tells her all about the Cal saga, and basically recounts the events of those books, and gives Moira her books of shadows, which are basically like the story of the Wicker series so far. And Moira reads those, and rightly, becomes quite suspicious of Ian, and kind of doesn't want to be involved with him that much she still wants to give him the benefit of the doubt but she is intelligent enough to know that she needs to go into this a little bit warily that was great for me as a reader because I was like I don't really want to read the first couple of books of the Wicker series again so it's nice that she doesn't have the same amount of naivety she's listening to her mother they have a pretty good relationship because if it had been a whole book of just Moira and Morgan arguing and at odds and not listening to each other Sort of like um, the relationship between Yan and Anuk in the lollipop shoes. That would have been very difficult for me to read and not very enjoyable. So I'm glad that we didn't have to deal with that. 
we get a sort of potted history of what Morgan's been up to in the like 16 years since Hunter's untimely death on the ferry. Basically, she married a man called Colm, um, who is Irish, uh, and a relative of one of the people of the remaining Bellwicket coven. So she stayed there with her mother-in-law Katrina and Colm. She kind of got over her devastating loss with them. She married Colm a couple of months after Hunter's death, which seemed very quick to me. Um, then had his baby Moira, and they have lived completely happily and contentedly together right up until Colm's death in, I think, a car accident uh, a couple of months before the start of the book. So we kind of get a little potted history of what's happened there. And when one of the characters like Bree is mentioned, you'll get like a little update on what's happened to them. Basically, everyone Morgan went to high school with is now married with children. So that's not particularly interesting. What I did miss a teeny bit was she talks about her adoptive family and sister who still live in America and they don't really see each other that much and her parents still don't like the fact that she's involved in Wicca. And I felt like we really missed out on a big chunk of their relationship and I kind of wish that maybe they had featured in this book a bit. Maybe they had come to visit, but uh, that was kind of a small niggle, so I was prepared to let that go because I was otherwise having quite a good time with the book. Aside from Moira's fledgling relationship with Ian and her trying to come to grips with her new mental image of her mother as someone other than just, the, you know, the good witch Morgan of Bellwicket, because she's always known that her mum was obviously important to the coven and is in fact next in line to be the high priestess after her mother-in-law. But she's never really thought of her as being powerful in the sense that Morgan demonstrates towards the end of the book, wherein she has the power to hurt people or kill them if necessary, and that she is actually a very strong and competent witch. Um, so aside from that sort of thing going on on the Moira end and her obviously reading Morgan's Book of Shadows, Morgan is sort of under attack. She finds a piece of Morganite on her front walk, which is obviously that stone that Hunter gave her like years ago which shows you your true love like you can put the image in it it's not the exact piece but the meaning of it is pretty clear that someone is reminding her of hunter and she isn't sure of their intentions she also finds several hex bags um around the property they're attacked by some sort of dark mist during a circle meeting with her coven which is very troubling and when sky comes to visit she notices a lot of ill wish runes and more hex bags hidden around the property which have been spelled so that Morgan and Moira don't notice them. So uh, someone is clearly out to get Morgan at this point and it's pretty obvious that it's Lilith. Um, the book makes no bones about it being like a mystery but the kind of underlining mystery is why now and why is Lilith doing this and why all the mentions or callbacks to Hunter specifically because the Clada ring that he gave Morgan and that flew off her finger as she gestured angrily towards the sea that had taken him, is returned to her. Like, she finds it on the path uh, again, and obviously this is meant to unnerve her, but also remind her of Hunter in a way that, as a reader, you're not really sure why that's happening. Morgan also starts to have, like, dreams or visions of Hunter, saying that um, he's not dead, but he forgives her for thinking that he is, and that there's no hope of her coming to rescue him and she shouldn't try because it would be too dangerous. So this kind of confirms something that I thought at the beginning because they never find his body. So I was like, he's probably not really dead. He either has amnesia somewhere because that's the kind of melodramatic thing I expected to happen. 
or he's being magically captured and held somewhere. There are some quite interesting interesting and sophisticated ideas running through this book. For example, in chapter 9, right at the beginning, um, page 153, um, Moira finds out that Kieran, the famous evil dark witch, was Morgan's birth father and subsequently is her maternal grandfather and so she kind of kicks off and is astounded that she has like evil blood and thankfully she gets over this way quicker than Morgan did because I wasn't looking to live through that again but what she says to her um, grandmother is but she's been lying to me all of these years Moira said her feeling still raw and hurt or at least not bothering to tell me the truth and what her grandmother says I found really interesting you don't have to know every detail of your mother's past. No child does. It's your mother's job to love you and try to do the best she can to bring you up well. She isn't obligated to tell you every secret and make sure it's fine with you. All she can do is her best. If she makes mistakes, everyone does. I thought that was quite a sophisticated idea to put into this book in that it's kind of like this childish idea and you see it in teen fiction that any secret your parents keep from you is bad and wrong and they should tell you everything but sometimes you are too young to know and also your parents are people they have their own lives they don't need to tell you every single detail about their life before they had you or even their life after they have you because they're separate people and although they to a certain extent owe you honesty they don't have to tell you every little thing that happened in their life particularly if it was very painful for them so I quite liked that as an inclusion however right after that on page 154 this conversation continues and drops kind of a, a lead into one of the other mysteries in the book so it says when you first met mum did you know who she was yes of course I sought her out remember when I found out a child of Maeve's existed I learned all I could about her I knew about Kieran and everything else when I met Morgan, I knew she was for Bell Wicked. You didn't mind her marrying Dad? Heavens no, Katrina paused for a moment, thinking. I was thankful when she agreed to marry Colm. Grateful that she would stay among us and help bring Bell Wicked back up to speed. I was grateful I was able to help her. Help her? Moira looked at her gran. How did you help her? Your mum went through a bad time, Gran said, weighing her words carefully. A friend of hers had died in an accident and she was very, very upset. She'd already done so much to invigorate Bell Wicket. I knew that with her strength and positive energy, our coven could be strong once again. We could triumph over those who tried to destroy us. We needed Morgan and she helped us. Gran paused and looked down. So when I could help her, I was happy to smooth her troubles away, to help her adjust to her new life. Now that little instance sets up quite a few red flags because some of the phrasing in there kind of tweaked my interest a bit. Because she makes reference to having sought Morgan out, to having needed her for the coven and to having helped her adapt to her new life. It kind of makes it seem like she's captured her or in some way coerced her into accepting this as her lot. And I was kind of poised for it to be revealed that it was Katrina who had caused the ferry to sink in a misguided effort to try and keep Morgan with Bell Wicket uh, and to get rid of Hunter so that Morgan would marry her son and keep the coven going. Apparently something doesn't seem right to Moira either because this is quite why I liked her character because she's smart enough to pick up on these things and to be curious and look into them um, so she kind of she, I had her back as a main character. 
Around page 186, she kind of sits down and compares Kolb's books of shadows to um, her mother's books of shadows to try and work out like a timeline of what's happening and try and work out what her grandmother meant when she said that she'd helped Morgan. She can't find any specific mention of any magic or anything being done to help Morgan, just protection spells and good wishing spells upon Moira's birth. But what she does notice in constructing her timeline is that Moira is born in December, uh, right before Yule, but Hunter died in March, and therefore her mum and dad got married in April. And the, the Book of Shadows uh, mentions that um, Morgan and Calm didn't sleep together before they were married, and she's already learned from, I think, a previous conversation that she was quite a healthy weight as a baby, like a nine-pound baby or whatever. So she clearly wasn't born prematurely, but apparently she was conceived in April, and then delivered in December. So something's not quite right there. She takes this knowledge to her mother straight away. Another reason that I really like Moira as a main character is that she doesn't just sit on these things and let them fester and become boring. She's quite confrontational when she finds these things out. She goes directly to her mum and is like, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. She's also had a dream that basically she witnessed her own birth and that she was then handed to a man who was definitely not Colm but who was Hunter so when she meets Skye when Skye comes to visit she realizes they have the same hair color and that then finds out that this woman is related to Hunter so she starts to get kind of an inkling of what may have occurred and definitely what I thought had occurred from like page one she brings all this stuff up to her mum and Morgan confirms to her you are Colm's daughter I know that that's true you can't possibly be Hunter's daughter, all this other stuff. Now, it seems that Morgan isn't lying. She genuinely believes this, but she was so caught up in her loss and grief and was so physically unwell uh, at the time um, that she obviously got married and all that other stuff happened that maybe her recollections aren't that clear and she's not entirely remembering things correctly. So in the chapter directly after this, she sits down and has a serious think. Around page 200, so like 20 pages later, we finally found out, like, find out the true story of what actually happens and what Katrina's involvement in that was. Apparently, following the storm, Morgan was beside herself with grief. She was suffering from pneumonia and was hospitalised in Wales. So Katrina and Colm and her husband went and rescued her and brought her back to the village to get better and so they could take care of her, which is quite a nice thing to do. They performed healing spells for Morgan to help her get better. Again, a very nice thing to do. And then at one point, Katrina was sitting with Morgan, who was, I guess, unconscious or asleep. And she was doing healing spells, but noticed through her sensing that Morgan was pregnant. And this is obviously prior to her marriage with Colm and confirms that Moira is actually Hunter's daughter. Now, at this point, I was like, oh, ha, ha, ho. So it's all going to come out now. And I was trying to work out if this was connected to the hex bags and things that they've been finding, that maybe Katrina was trying to frighten Morgan into staying in the village and assuming the role of high priestess, thinking that she'd be guiding them through a troubled time because Morgan had spoken about maybe wanting to travel and leave and, and go do other things. That isn't actually the case. Um, I was kind of disappointed about that. And with kind of where the rest of the plot went but we'll get to that in a second it turns out what Katrina actually did was a spell to heal Morgan of her despair uh, and all her kind of dark thoughts and everything that was taking a toll on her health and she took that onto herself so that Morgan would be okay which is the reason why she's developed like arthritis and various other health complaints unfortunately the upshot of that spell was it kind of muddled Morgan's mind and left her 
not knowing that the baby was actually Hunter's, which she probably would have been able to work out if the spell hadn't been cast. So she thought that it was Colm's baby after they got married. Um, and they got married because Colm was already in love with her and Morgan kind of liked him a bit because she was going to get with him after she broke up with Hunter in the prologue. But it wasn't like, you know, soulmate type love. They just liked, she just liked him a whole bunch and thought he was a good guy. So they were going to get married. Rather gratifyingly, Morgan then gives Katrina kind of a hard time about this because she's not very happy about it. Uh, and also about the fact that she's been lied to all these years, which is fair enough. And um, I felt like she reacted in the appropriate way. So that wasn't, you know, frustrating at all. So that's pretty good. And then we get a sort of explanation about some stuff that I'd forgotten about since it was I guess mentioned back in the Wicca series that there are contraceptive spells which apparently Morgan was using but it's stated that um, basically Sky thinks the reason that she was still able to get pregnant is that Moira was fated to be born like destiny intervened and so no spell was getting in the way of that so this kind of made me think that Moira was getting her own spin-off series because obviously if she's destined to be born there must be something you know more to her story but a quick check of Kate Tiernan's Goodreads page revealed that there is no such series, which is kind of disappointing. But there you go. Now, the last third of the book deals with the actual antagonists of the novel. And it was probably this third of the book that was my least favourite, um, because I felt like the villains hadn't really been built up enough. There wasn't a lot of time left to explore their motivations. And I was kind of still a little bit disappointed that Katrina hadn't been the main bad guy all along, because that would have been kind of cool. The actual bad guy isn't Lilith, the leader of the other coven, either. She's just a pawn of the main villain. And the main villain is Morgan's half-sister, Iona, who is Kieran's daughter. Uh, and we get a little scene of Kieran's funeral. He died after having his powers stripped in between books. And uh, she's very pissed off at Morgan at the funeral. But I felt like for the main antagonist of the last book in the series, I needed something a little bit more than someone who hadn't been the main antagonist for very long. I wish Iona had been brought up in previous books to give her a little bit of backstory and add more weight to the events. Or on the flip side, that the bad guy had been Katrina, who, although hadn't been in the previous books, she did have quite a lot of emotional connection and presence in the story. So I felt like that would have had more emotional weight. But no, it's just Iona. And it turns out her big plan is that she's been stealing the souls of witches, including her father, Kieran, to make herself more powerful so that she can take Morgan down because reasons. Those reasons basically being that she doesn't like the fact that Kieran cared about Morgan because she was powerful and his other children were not and also she hates Morgan for stripping Kieran of his powers. Her big plan therefore was to, to call up a storm to suck Hunter into one of those underworldly holy things which she used the storm to cover and then to put him on an island in the middle of the ocean where her coven or amaranth or whatever has been putting people they don't like for years and it's an island that dampens magic powers into non-existence and causes insanity eventually because it's basically just a prison that you can never ever leave. Uh, Morgan actually gets to that discovery quite quickly. She tortures Lilith and then goes and tortures Iona a bit as well and I was kind of pleased about that because it showed that Morgan was willing and able to use force when necessary and to defend herself when necessary which is something that teenage Morgan kind of cried about a lot but this Morgan 
does with a degree of uh, understanding that it's kind of unavoidable in these situations and it's really nice because it shows her daughter Moira that there's a flip side to magic that if you're so strong that you can heal people and help people you are strong enough to hurt people as well. This is covered quite nicely on page 113 uh, it's Morgan thinking to herself about how she's borne Kieran's legacy all these years. It had shaken her to the core, made her question herself like nothing ever had. If she was the daughter of an incredibly evil witch, did that make her own darkness inevitable? She had known even then that it was going to be a constant struggle to stay on the side of goodness. It had been, but not only because she was Kieran's daughter. Every single person, every day, had to choose goodness over and over again. Every person, every day, could take one of two paths. It was up to that person to choose well. Choosing to work with bright magic wasn't a choice one made at the beginning of her career and then just forgot about. The temptation was constant. It was a choice that must be made continuously, despite need or anger or desire. There had been times when Morgan had known she could truly help someone, truly make a difference in someone's life, but would have meant working the wrong kind of magic. And there had been times when Morgan could see how her own power would be increased substantially as she worked a certain spell or created certain rituals. If she were that much stronger, she could do that much more good. She always used her powers for good. She could protect her family that much more. She herself could be that much safer. But to get that power, she would have to pay the price of working dark magic, even if it were only for a short amount of time, and that price was too high. She had been tempted by dark magic. She couldn't hold her head high and say that she had never even considered it, that following the Wiccan Reed and minding the Threefold Law had come easily. Morgan was only too aware of the humbling effect of temptation, of the realisation that she had such a desire in her to be brought to the point of having to fight it. Was that because she was human or because she was Kieran's daughter? I really liked that as a, a kind of sum up to Morgan's attitudes towards magic. I felt like it was a lot clearer in this book than it had been in previous ones. I also liked the idea that it kind of focused back on the Wiccan Reed because obviously the Wiccan Reed is a real thing and Wiccans follow it. And I think sometimes Wiccans get a bad rep for being all love and light and people aren't all love and light, man. You have to be able to do defensive magic when you need to. And that's the point. Being love and light and working good magic isn't like an easy option for people who are too terrified of the darkness to ever step into it. It's about people who know what's in the darkness and what comes of it who say, I'm going to stick to this. And even if I am tempted, even if I am harmed, I am going to stay my course and stick to what I believe is morally right. Which is sort of the same as like pacifism and the extreme forms of pacifism where people won't fight back even if they are themselves attacked. And I think there's quite a lot of strength to admire in actions like that. And I think it was kind of nice because it didn't say, oh, Morgan is only a good and powerful witch when she's like torturing people to get her husband back it's because she is so strong and because she's had to fight this battle with herself all her life that she knows exactly the cost of her actions and exactly what it means to do the things that she is doing uh, so I really like that I felt that was quite in character for Morgan and a, a good lesson to pull from this book now I got slightly confused later on because they go and confront Iona and are able to kind of beat her without really any trouble whatsoever around page 248 um they don't have one of those magic silver ropes to tie her up with but they contact the new charter and like she's here at this old abandoned castle come get her and then they go to 
get to the island where Hunter is supposedly being held. But then on page 252, when they're contemplating just like leaving for the island, Morgan says, if Iona has been consuming souls and increasing her power through dark methods, we're going to need to be in better shape to fight her. Oh, sorry, that was Sky. Everything in me is telling me to jump into the ocean right now and swim out there to get Hunter. But I know that if we're going to try and save him, if we're going to go up against Iona on her terms, on her ground, we need to be able to pull out all the stops. Do you follow me? But they've already beaten her on her own ground. They went to the castle that she's been using as like her stronghold, I guess, to confront her to find out where the island is. And Morgan beat her in under five minutes. So I was really confused. I actually had to go back to make sure that they had, in fact, beaten Iona and not someone who'd been glamoured to look like her. But it was her. They're just, I guess, expecting her to show up again on the island after being caught. But then they seem surprised when she does. So it was quite confusing to me. And I felt like we were returning back to some of the the less good books in the Wicker series at this point. Um, And sure enough, I wasn't overly impressed with the rest of the book. But um, I did enjoy like a good 70% of it. So it's still probably my favourite one in the series. Anyway, they beat Iona, they save Hunter. And they then realise, because Iona tells them in like her dying breath, that a dark wave has been sent on Bell Wicket on the island. And at this point, I roll my eyes. This is my least favourite plot development of the whole book. Because we've seen the dark wave so many times and I get that it's kind of symmetrical because Morgan's whole family history kind of started with this dark wave but we I don't think we needed another one especially because exactly the same thing happens as last time they use the spell to get rid of the dark wave it goes into the little hole in the ground and gets all sucked up uh, and everything's fine so I, I don't really see why we needed it they could have done something else um but there you go um basically the whole dark wave thing was orchestrated by Lilith on Iona's orders and then Lilith is arrested by like the new charter and uh she's like I guess locked up somewhere it's not really explained and Ian is then like semi-adopted by the Bellwicket coven because it's revealed that he actually didn't know how dark his mother had gotten and was actually a pretty good egg the whole time which I appreciated because it at least gave him a chance it felt kind of like the um redemption of Draco Malfoy except not complete bollocks um so I appreciated that that was quite nice and then the book ends with Morgan and Hunter getting to know each other again after this like 20 year break Moira getting to know her father and then becoming a a new family together which is really sweet and nice and a good way to leave the series so overall I gave this book like five uh, like four stars on Goodreads because it is my favorite one of the series it really shows what you can do with that extra page length that you can have like a more complex story although I wish the like antagonist dark magic-y explanations hadn't been left until like the last third of the book and had maybe involved characters that we'd encountered before but overall a really good ending to the wicker series and i'm kind of disappointed that moira doesn't get more books of her own but i have found out about another series that kate tiernan wrote which isn't as many books but it's the balefire series which is also about witches i think uh so i am going to be getting my teeth into that i think it's going on the amazon wish list as well because I have a lot of books to get through before that point, but uh, if you would like to send that winging my way, check the link in the description for a link to the Amazon wishlist. In the meantime, let me know how you've enjoyed the Wicker series, if you've read them, if you'd be interested in having like a giveaway of all the books, which I've mentioned doing previously, let me know about that. Like this video if you'd like to see more books by Kate Tierman, and uh, in the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Bye! <laughs>